I'm Becky. I'm Wayne. And I'm Mandy. Welcome to the two-year Teaching in Tech podcast. In each episode, we share tips, tricks, and strategies for teaching in person and online, as well as how to effectively use instructional technology. Hi, Wayne and Becky. How's it going? Hi, Mandy. Good. How are you? It's 2021, my friends. It is. Come <laughs> soon enough. Back if it's what's that word? A palindrome? Palindrome? Where mm-hmm. if it's forward and backwards, it's the same thing for the next 10 days. So oh, oh, oh. one, twenty, twenty-one. If you for like the next 10 days, if you read the numbers, it's um, the same way forward and back. Oh if you have 21. If it's 20 today, it's one, twenty, twenty, twenty-one. But the rest of the nine days after, you can only do the 21 part. You can't do the whole year gotcha. because I tried. That's excellent. That's Anyways, excellent. useless information that everybody wanted to know, right? No, I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Speaking of palindromes, I actually just saw a thing about the fear of palindromes. <laughs> and the name that was given to it, I can't say it, but it is, it is phobia it's phobias backward at the front of it so that it is a palindrome. The name of the fear of palindromes is oh a palindrome. Gosh. Isn't that the most terrible thing you've ever heard? That is a terrible thing. So if somebody has that, they wouldn't even be able to say to it. say what they have, yeah. To somebody. Just thinking kind of amazing to me. Give them fits, yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's sad. Even- it's the Alanis Morissette song from the 90s. That is, has nothing to do with actual irony. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of strange coincidences. So friends, we, we ended our podcast for 2020 talking about how we handled all of the changes that we experienced and offering some ideas and recommendations for self-care and stuff like that. Since it's the new year and it's January and there have been so many changes, what if we talk about some of the things that we would like to see happen this year or that we're hoping for, especially with education and ed tech and all the stuff that we like? Yeah. Yeah, it's a love-hate thing, but yeah. It is <laughs> I do love all it. the stuff that we do at our jobs. <laughs> I do love it, too. I do. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I have been really impressed with some the faculty over this last year and some of the things that they've done. Because I'm sure it's like this at other schools, too, where we had a lot of instructors who only ever taught face-to-face really didn't use the technology that we had available to them because they didn't need to. And then the need to arose, and I think they did pretty well with adapting to that. They would have done much better in some cases had they been trying to use at least small parts of it all along. Wink, wink. But I think they did pretty well considering. But what I'm finding interesting now is that I I think that some of them have seen the benefit of using the technology, like creating exams and quizzes in our LMS that can be automatically graded and added to the gradebook, and they don't have to spend all of that time grading those things. Or, well, that's the best example I can think of right now, but but that's a pretty big one. That saves a lot of time. I, I know I've discovered new things or had to find new tools just because there were things that they did in their face-to-face classes that they wanted to be able to do online. And we've just kind of had to find ways to make that work that maybe weren't a priority to figure out until now. And so that's been kind of nice just to discover new tools or new, to discover those solutions to some of those problems. That's been really interesting. So that's been nice. For sure. Yeah, I've been really impressed with a lot of our colleagues, just like you guys were saying, because I think there are people who just didn't need to use some of our technology. It wasn't that they were even against it. They didn't have an immediate need for it. And so 
some of the people who have really stepped up and been willing to to try what we've had available as well as new stuff I think is huge and I think that that shows a readiness for some change at a bigger scale than maybe what we would have experienced otherwise. I've been talking to different people about how not that I'm glad that we have had a pandemic that is definitely not what I'm saying at all but I well, think it's clarifying. Let's just make sure that we understand I'm not happy about the <laughs> pandemic. Uh, but I think it's given us some really unique opportunities to make some changes that we might have had a harder time making or we wouldn't have had a the money. strong reason to make or the money. And I, I really hope that everybody, but education especially, uses all of the changes that we've had to make because of COVID, I hope that those actually get used to continue to evaluate programs and services and make even more improvements and changes because I think we, we have a really unique opportunity right now that we might not have had otherwise. That's what I was thinking. I, it's sad that it took a pandemic to get education remotely close to being funded, how it needs to be funded. But now we have that funding to put the technology that we were able to put in our classrooms over Christmas break so that we can offer the high flex classes that we're looking at is so amazing so that our teachers, so that our faculty can walk into a classroom and at the push of a button, offer our remote students the opportunity to just jump on and be able to plug into a class at a moment's notice because their kid got a fever and they can't come to class or their car broke down and they don't have a ride to class. So they don't have to miss that. So they can participate remotely right there because something happened in their life. It's amazing to me that they can do this now. And we didn't have the opportunity to offer this previously. It's wonderful. I hate, hate, hate that it was a global pandemic that gave us this ability. But it, I hope that since, like you said, Maddie, that we can take and run with this and use, use this to benefit our students and use this to our benefit and continue even after the global pandemic is gone, crossing our fingers that it is gone <laughs> and this new normal is something that we continue with and continue to build on and grow. I, can I can I just say the I don't know everything about the high flex thing, but how did we not think of that before? <laughs> how did we not think we could deliver the class in person, synchronously online and asynchronously online? Our master program did. <laughs> They've been doing it for a while That's now. True. That's true. That's true. What, Wayne, I mean, I've thought that too, and that's that's something that I'm hoping that HyFlex becomes more common and maybe even starts to become more of the norm. But what's weird to me is that it's been around for much longer than I realized, probably a lot of people realized. It's just been in, it's been in other states and it's been at bigger institutions that probably had more resources to do something like that. Sure. But honestly, I'm like, why was this not just a thing that somebody here decided to do? Because we yeah. do have students who have so many different life issues and needs. And mm -hmm. why has it always been such an either or kind of situation? I think the technology has been a big part of it. I've had a few times where I was teaching a face-to-face -face class. and Maybe I had only five people show up for class that day for whatever reason. And I remember thinking, I, I wish that I had some way that I could just live stream this class so that people could be participating at home. And I just couldn't conceptualize how to do it with the technology that was available to me. Sure. And not that maybe we didn't even have it, but I just didn't know. Like I just didn't know what we needed or what we had. And I think getting that technology installed in the classroom removed a huge barrier. So... So do you, do you think do you think we have any listeners who aren't a part of our campus? Well, I don't know. I mean, I I hope so, but I don't know. <laughs> if we do have listeners who are not a part of our campus, we actually have some really cool classroom technology that's been installed 
in a couple of our classrooms and it's going to be installed in more once once it actually shows up i think yeah. I, think I think we're still waiting right now to total i think that we're doing so we're, we're pretty close to done okay i didn't realize that i yeah. thought we were still waiting on a bunch of stuff to show up but we are but not for that so so yeah we and jump in because i i mean you guys are more familiar with it than i am but we have basically we have some awesome mic arrays that have array. been installed so those are installed on the ceilings in the classrooms so that mm -hmm. faculty could walk around and the audio wouldn't get lost if they're the kind of person who wanders around and lectures or talks while they're and reading. it'll get the audio of all the students too mm -hmm. in the classroom yep. and then there's some great great camera system that tell me more about the camera system it's sure. a webcam on steroids <laughs> is what our it calls it <laughs> um, it hangs from the ceiling and it does it has that does the full front of the classroom and then depending on how big the classroom is it has either three zones or two zones at the front of the classroom and it can also pan and zoom right now it does not have a 360 but they are talking about putting a second camera into some of the rooms that can do a 360 view or at least do a view that we'll be able to see around the classroom and then it also has new speakers in the classroom so that there's a good sound for the people in the classroom also and it's all hooked up to a magic box that's hooked up to the computer so everything runs through the brain this magic little brain that you literally turn on a computer and it's all run through the computer it's all set up as the default through webex for speakers and mics and video so faculty doesn't have to do anything. You just start your WebEx and it magically works. So it's not magical, it's technology actually that makes it work. And our IT team made it magical with their little magical wand, but it's technology. <laughs> it, it, it is magic though, because like that, like that Arthur C. Clarke quote that I absolutely love, any sufficiently advanced technology is indiscernible from magic. You don't need to know how it magically works, right? But those those microphones, I don't know if it was Mandy. I think we talked about it. But those microphones in the ceiling are so powerful that they pick up people walking down the hall. So we have oh. to, <laughs> so our IT, our AV guy in IT is running stuff through some software that does some background noise reduction. And so we were kind of playing with that, like jingling keys while talking so we could see if it, and it does, it, it doesn't get rid of it entirely, but it kind of lowers that and gives priority to the voice, to the speaking voice. So I know when we tested it that day, you guys were asking, I think Phil was in the back shaking his keys <laughs> or something right, and you yeah, guys were asking me if I could hear it. And I was like, no, I don't hear anything. I hear you talking. That's it. So I didn't realize that that was because they were so powerful. They were picking up noise outside of the classroom though that's crazy yeah it'll pick up the classroom next door if we if we just had it on like normal yeah wow that's yeah, you have that's to awesome. shut the door when you teach now <laughs> well and there's that software that's that's running to try to and it's all brand new too so i'm sure we'll find more things we can tweak uh, as we go along but the point is that it's easy for the end user it's easy for the faculty to come in and, and just turn on their webex yeah. and it's good to go yeah and that's it what we is, want really i mean because cool. we don't want the technology to be a barrier i really do see high flex and blended learning becoming more of the norm it might take a little bit longer to catch on for smaller institutions like us i have a hard time seeing us ever going back to a hundred percent traditional face-to-face or 100% traditional asynchronous online because it, it, we don't have to. I just keep hoping that whatever positive change comes around as a result of all of this is that we're not aiming to go back to business as usual because that seems crazy to me. Everybody keeps talking about wanting to go back to normal and I'm like, what is normal? There's no such thing as normal anyway it's just how things were it doesn't make it normal or good or better i think it's really hard for and i hate so this year is the year that i realized and have accepted the fact that i'm older people 
and I'm totally okay with it now. Both Wayne and I are older than you. So I know. So, so we're older people, guys. We're older people. <laughs> and it's okay. We're, we are grown ups, and it is okay to be a grown up now. I joke with my husband about it all the time. <laughs> but the youth of today, those little youngins out there, their brains are so much different than ours were when we were growing up because we played outside and they don't. There's a thing called stranger danger and it's so different. It's online stranger danger now. It's not at the park. They don't know what the park is these days. I'm joking, sort of joking. I don't know if my kid knows what a park is. <laughs> but their brains are different. How they socialize is different. How they learn is different. And as educators, I don't think it's recognized quite the same. I know I graduated with my teaching degree, gosh, it was within the last 10 years. So it wasn't that long ago. And even within the last 10 years, we'd learned about different learning styles, but it wasn't pushed as much that the technology is changing and shaping the way that little brains are being formed. And so I don't think there was enough emphasis on the technology shaping the way little minds work. And so we've got to, as educators, get used to that idea and get used to the idea that uh, attention spans are shorter and that students just learn differently that they, we cannot just stand at the front of the classroom and lecture to them and expect them to take notes and expect them to learn from reading from the book and having us just stand there and tell them something. They need something different. And I think the high flex model kind of brings that in. Can I, can I ask you a bit of a philosophical question? You may. Do we think that these younger brains learn differently than we did? Or do you think that the outside influences and the technology really have just allowed us to find better ways to do that? Because me personally, I would have benefited greatly from things we have now. I just know that about myself, but these things didn't exist then. I think they learn differently. This is just kind of an example. Take this as you will. But my daughter, her thing is, I'm just using my resources. She Googles everything. I'm using my resources. And I always tease her and I'm like, you realize someone had to put that on Google. Our generation, we put everything on Google. And Google wouldn't exist if it wasn't for us. So how did we learn all that? We had to go out and actually physically do things to learn information. And now these kids don't learn anything. They just look it up. It's tangible to us. We actually went and did the things to learn the things. And these kids just look at a computer and read about the things. I, I kind of see it as like, <laughs> we knew that what we were reading then, 30 years ago, we could trust right? Because yeah. it was in a publication or it was in a book from the library, right? We, we felt we could trust that information. Where kids now have access to all of this stuff, but they have to learn to better vet that information and know what seems a little off. I need to check some other sources or, right? Like I'm a person, you guys are probably going to hate me for saying this, but I'm a person who thinks Wikipedia is fine. It's not fine necessarily for a research paper, but it's not necessarily a bad place to start. But you have to know what you can trust and use other sources as well. I think that is a huge change for the youth of today that we didn't really have to worry about back then, you know? First of all, Wayne, I, I don't think that you're a monster because you like Wikipedia. So I, no, actually, so that's something when I've taught students about doing research, I've told them, if you don't know anything about your topic or your knowledge is really limited, Wikipedia is a great place to start. You just can't use it as a source for a research paper. And then I tell them, read about it. Because I think about what I would have done back in the day is I would have gone to a physical encyclopedia and found information about a topic because that's what we had. I didn't get my first email address until I was in college. And 
so that was probably like 1997, 1998-ish. And I remember actually having to physically go into the library, even through college, it kind of lessened the farther I went along. But my first year of college, I remember being in the library physically and having to get books out to, to do my homework and write my papers because I just didn't have access to all of the things on the internet and, and what was on the internet wasn't necessarily <laughs> going to help me anyway. I think it's a matter of the way that we had to learn because of what was available to us and what wasn't. I wish I could remember the acronym for this, but I listened to a podcast recently where this education researcher was talking about how the way we need to know information has changed. Basically what she was distinguishing between knowledge that you actually have to have in your brain, like you have to have retained it because it's a particular type of knowledge that you need to have on hand versus knowing how to use your resources and knowing how to go to Wikipedia, for example, and find information and be, being able to distinguish between fact and opinion and actually being able to look at things critically, but you don't have to have that information retained in your brain because it already exists elsewhere. And I thought that was such an important distinction because I think some of the way that we're still teaching, and I don't mean like we necessarily, but that educators are still teaching is with the idea that students have to have everything in their heads and that they have to retain everything. And I don't think that that's the way the world works anymore. And quite frankly, I didn't retain things. I remember memorizing things to pass the test and what I actually retained upon leaving a course in high school and college was probably pretty minimal, if anything. And it's funny what I do remember from time to time, but it's like random trivia at this point. We have the opportunity to start looking at how we're educating people and really thinking about teaching information literacy and, and critical thinking skills rather than trying to cram a bunch of information into people's heads that isn't going to stick. I was talking with my partner yesterday about math, college math classes that she and I have taken fairly recently and how the difference between even just instructors and how they handle testing. And it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. In some classes, it's about understanding how the formula works so that you can do the work so you can have a cheat sheet of formulas that you've pre-written and brought in and other classes it's other instructors really it's like no you need to just know all of these formulas going into that test but that's not how it's going to work in the real world as someone who works in IT I well I'm an exception because I just know everything right but <laughs> totally kidding I look everything up. And when you look at things like computer programming, there are probably a few very special people on this planet who could just write code, whatever language it is, as if they were just natively speaking. Most of us are not like that. There's no way to retain all of that information for, for most people. I almost said normal people. Those guys are normal too. But it's about how to find the information that you need and how to think critically about what you need and not about just cramming as much into your brain as you can. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about my educational statistics class that I had to take this summer. I mean, that was like the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. But I was thinking about how I had hated math so much in high school because I could do the work, but having to be tested over it was really hard for me. And having to memorize formulas was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being so frustrated by that. And I never understood the mechanics of why we were doing what we were doing. And what I thought was really interesting about this staff class that I took over the summer was their emphasis was really on teaching us the, the construct of statistics and here's what 
logistical regression is and here's why you would use it. And then they taught us the formulas, but also said, you're never going to actually do anything with the formula because you're going to be using software that does this for you, but this is what it's doing. And I really appreciated that. I mean, it didn't make the class less difficult or anything. And, and I didn't feel like I retained a lot of that information. I certainly wouldn't be able to just go have a conversation with somebody about any of that and be able to just know it off the top of my head. But what I did get out of it is I knew enough by the time I was done with the class that when I had to take my comprehensive exams over Christmas break, I knew where to look and what to look for to help me plan out the study that I had to create. And so we'll see what my committee thinks when I defend it. Maybe, maybe I'm completely lying about all of this and I have no idea what I'm doing. But I felt, I felt more confident in the fact that I knew how to use my resources. And I didn't feel like I needed to have memorized all of this stuff because it isn't something I'm going to use every day. If I were going to be a statistician, it'd be different, but I'm not. And so now I know where some good resources are. I have a couple of good books on it. So if it comes up again, I can say, oh, I know where to go to figure out what to use to conduct this test or whatever. Sure. And that's a really different way of learning things and being able to express your knowledge. So I think, I think it doesn't feel important. like it should be a different way. It feels like it is because we're so used to just having information thrown at us and then we have to regurgitate it on a piece of paper. Right. But that's, mm -hmm. that doesn't feel like that's how it really should be in most cases. Right. I agree. We need we need a fourth person who would disagree with us. <laughs> well, to play devil's advocate, no, I can't. I can't even play devil's advocate on it because I totally agree with you guys on that. If you have to memorize, you get that cognitive overload, and then you just never remember it. I really like to use the comparison. If I'm having heart surgery, I, I don't want my doctor to guess. I really would prefer him to go watch the YouTube video before, so he can make sure he remembers what he's doing. I, I don't want him to be like, I'm pretty sure this is where the valve was. No, like, no, please, please go review the fake heart before and make sure where to cut. So Those people should memorize everything. Yeah, yeah, but they should also check before. Let's double check. Even if it's emergency surgery, please pull your phone out and double check. Use your resources. <laughs> so that's, that's one thing. I mean, in open book tests and <laughs> I guess I'm a big fan of of problem solving, like doing problem sets, case studies, those things that bring you to high, the higher order thinking instead of multiple choice. Yes, label things so that I know where everything is, but then I'm going to give you a complex scenario and I want you to tell me something about this complex scenario so that I, so I know what you're talking about. I don't want you just to memorize everything. And when we can get all the all of the other people in the world on the same page as us, then it will be a closer to perfecter world. Well, I was just thinking about how I think sometimes technology, especially in software and software as a service stuff that we use, you know, is kind of slow to innovate or maybe they kind of stagnate and they don't really innovate, especially maybe they don't need to, they have no real need. But over this last year, it's been kind of cool to see some of these companies are like, holy crud, we've got competition we never had before. We got to do something. And adding features and even WebEx, I'm not saying anything negative about them. I actually like WebEx as a tool, but seeing them, it really seems like they jumped on trying to make it work well for education. And every month I see this release log of updates that are coming out. I think before they probably didn't see Google as a huge competitor. They probably didn't see Zoom as a huge competitor, but then when it was necessary for education, they're like, oh man, we got to get on this. Right. And so I think changes like that have been really good. And I'm just using them as an example, because that's a really prominent one for me and what we do, but there's others as well.
even Facebook and Google. I've so. been super impressed with all of the technology companies since March of last year. There were a few hiccups and a few with some bad guys, the hacker people, which I just don't understand why you have to be a negative, evil person and hack things and just, just be nice and be kind. And I don't like bad guys and I don't understand it, but I've been super impressed with how quickly these tech companies got on board and fixed problems that maybe they weren't prepared for the entire globe to need to go remote. I mean, and really who is, who expects that? Who expects to have the server space and all of the tech stuff, all the technology that needs to be ready for the entire globe to just go remote, <laughs> but they handled it, they figured it out and they handled it and they got things back up in a somewhat timely manner. I mean, pretty impressive considering what they had to do. I think a bigger problem is our bandwidth infrastructure in our country. And mm -hmm. that is not a quick overnight fix. And so I think these tech companies have had to, in some ways, make their services more efficient in order to deal with that. So I'd really like to see our, um, you guys need to get on this right away, Mandy and Becky, our, <laughs> our network infrastructure as a nation, you know, our backbones, because we would see, especially I mean, we're in Great Falls, Montana. And so we would just see things get really sluggish at nine o'clock on a Monday because mm -hmm. everyone is on Zoom and WebEx, right? Yeah. So anyway, I think there are still changes that need to be made. But I, I, I think that. the tech companies have been great. And I think, and I think the focus changing to how can we how can we deliver the same experience in these different ways that maybe before we were like, hey, we just don't have to. So I can really care, right. right? Now we care. We, the yeah. three of us always cared. I'm just saying right. other people. <laughs> More people care now. More. I'm thinking too about what you just said about like our network infrastructure, because it's always kind of been like this side issue about, especially for rural areas that, there's a lot of rural areas in Montana and I'm sure in other states as well that just flat out have zero internet access. There's mm -hmm. no cell service in a lot of places still, which is crazy to me, but it's still a thing. And and it's always kind of been like this little pet project that you hear about from different legislators every once in a while, but it seems like I've been noticing more conversation about it. And so I hope that that truly is a big change that ends up coming along because it, it's a huge resource that's not available to people. And even in areas that aren't rural, I mean, there are urban areas where for whatever reason, people don't have access to internet. And it seems like that just needs to become a, a basic service that everybody has access to and that you shouldn't have to drive to a coffee shop to be able to access Wi-Fi, or it just seems like that's a service that everybody should be entitled to. So I hope that there's mm -hmm. some traction with that. I think I've heard they're just gonna put up more Starbucks. Oh, well that's yeah. fine. I mean- So yeah, you don't have to go far. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember about 15, 20 years ago, God, that makes me feel old. I think about 15 years ago that Canada was rolling out high-speed internet in across the, the nation of Canada and uh, the rural areas in Canada, like the Yukon, we're gonna have um, high-speed internet. And I remember thinking, wow, well then we're probably not far behind, right? And Three Rivers <laughs> was putting fiber optic, they, there was a government was paying for it to go into all the rural areas mm -hmm. and a lot of rural areas in Montana did get fiber optic. I mean, so there are a lot of places in Montana that mm -hmm. have very, very nice high-speed internet. And the larger cities have not caught up. Exactly. So it's not fair. We don't have it. And I really am mad about that because I want it. So I'm going to move out of town so I can have it. <laughs> but <laughs> it isn't everywhere out of town because the grant money ran out. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very expensive. Three Rivers will not install it unless the homeowners pay for it now. And it's like $15,000 to have it ran like 15 feet off of the fiber optic to your house. <laughs> if it like runs outside of your house, it's very expensive. 
but they started it and then the government was like, oh, never mind, we're out of money. So we're not going to pay for this anymore. And then it was gone. So, so it is a big problem. Rural access is not there for, for yeah. everyone. So hopefully that'll become more of a priority because that's the other thing that the pandemic has shown is that there's such a huge equity gap in access to technology period and then also access to reliable internet and i think that it's always been there but again it was always something that was sort of just kind of a side issue i even remember as an institution us saying to students, well, if you don't have internet at your house, just go somewhere that has internet, or we have computer labs on campus, come use them. And that's really not a solution. And then when we weren't allowed to go anywhere, <laughs> that really became clear that that was not a solution. Mm -hmm. So I hope that that becomes a bigger priority this year for the people who have the power to do something about it. Because one of the stop gaps that our state has had too is the Montana State Library used some of the CARES Act money to buy a bunch of hotspots that they distributed to different libraries across the state. And so our school got six, which is great. And I, I think it's definitely a better solution than doing nothing. But then my question was, there are a number of dead spots because the hotspots rely on cell service mm -hmm. and there's a number of dead spots in the surrounding communities around great falls and i mean a good probably three quarters of my commute between here and home i have no cell service and so anybody who lives in that 30 mile stretch yeah. wouldn't even be able to use one of the hot spots <laughs> it's better than nothing but it's like a band-aid it's not a total solution to the problem. I, I think when your school is trying to find a way to boost your Wi-Fi out to the parking lot so students can pull up to the building in their car and do their schoolwork, I'm not saying that that is bad that we were thinking of that. I'm saying it's bad that that even needs to be a thought. You yeah. know? Wasn't Google like a few years ago or something? I, 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 I don't, it's like in the tip of my brain or it's buried somewhere in the files in my brain but google like had a campaign to get internet into everybody's house or something and it was going to be free for the whole world and i it still exists but it's it, only it in a, some very very select large cities okay but that was a thing right like google was like everybody deserves internet and they deserve not to pay for it and yep. it should be free okay so i'm not yep. crazy i think it's still a thing i know it was a thing i know you're not crazy okay. about that but but I, I think it's still a thing. I think it that still exists. Cool. It's just okay. in some very, like, not a lot of areas. Google Fiber is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. I guess that leads into one of my other items on my wish list is that there's more emphasis put on expanding and improving online learning. We talked about HyFlex, and I think HyFlex is an awesome solution, but in some cases that might not still be the best option, because if we still need to have asynchronous fully online courses, I would like to see more emphasis being put on that for improving instruction and accessibility for online coursework, because as we've seen, there are some people who do a great job of developing online courses and providing that instruction, but then there's other people who feel like it's still something where you just dump a bunch of content into it and throw your hands up and you're like, I'm done, I'm out, I'm good, see you later. Away they go. And away they go. <laughs> so I think having a more robust conversation, not even just within the state, but nationally, there needs to be a conversation happening that talks about this is what it means to teach an online course. These are the identified best practices and expectations when you're a college and you say that you offer online coursework. That's this is what it means. Yeah. And I, I know those conversations happen and have happened for a number of years, but it doesn't feel like policy hasn't been influenced by it or or even practice really. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but my impression is that it still is very much a, well, should you choose to do online instruction, 
here's what would probably be the best way to do it rather than, no, this is how you do it. I think you're right. It's like, well, this is, this is the best practice. Like, maybe this is the way to do it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that there's a hard and fast. This is it. This is what you have to do. It is just more of a, well, here's everything. So just go be on your way. What do you think Wayne about that? You've been our instructional technologist for a long time and I've been with you along the way for different things and different professional developments, but I don't know. What do you think? I kind of agree. I've seen a lot of classes, online courses, and I'm not saying just here, but I've seen a lot of online courses here and elsewhere. Some, some of which were literally just, here's your stuff. And it just seemed like probably the instructor saw it as a really easy paycheck, right? Now, that being said, where I am currently attending, that is basically their model. But it makes sense for the population that they're trying to serve, people advancing their degree in a field they already work in. So in that way, I see, okay, that maybe works. And I'm not saying that there aren't instructors, it's just that there's not instruction. Like the instructors are there more to help you if you get stuck. They give you a ton of resources, but you're just preparing to take a test, basically, every course, which is right. fine. Works well. But for the model is, it's meant to be a self-paced model. Yes. Yes. Right. So I'm saying theirs is different. If you look at a school like us, where it's not <laughs> meant to be that, you have a set term or, or block within that term or whatever, a set period of time when you need to get this information and get a grade, take a final, whatever it is. I've seen really great instruction and I've seen really poor instruction in that regard. And then I've seen some that like when this pandemic hit, some instructors, I won't name any names, but she's in my head right now, that were, this is a good thing. She taught the same class face-to-face -face and online before the pandemic. Moving to online, piece of cake, but she's not someone who just threw her content out there. For her online class, she did things to give them as close to the same experience as possible. So I might have lost sight of the question, but I think that you're right. It's not like nobody has ever, it seems, given just here is how you do it. It's more like, well, here's some stuff. Just put some stuff out there. If you want to do more, you can. That's not what it should be. I mean, we all seem to understand that in order to deliver the same material in a different mode, you have to create those materials differently. Giving an online or giving a lecture in a face-to-face -face class that's an hour long but has class interaction is one thing, but recording a video of you talking for an hour and expecting people to watch it and care enough to listen and not interact is not the same thing. So then maybe you are delivering that synchronously with interaction, or maybe you are creating asynchronous videos that aren't an hour long. Maybe you're adding formative assessment within that video. Maybe it's just breaking it down. I took a, a class through a, one of those MOOCs a few years ago. Remember when MOOCs were a big thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, MOOCs went away, right? I mean, they're still there, but nobody talks about them anymore. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I took a MOOC on like Python programming several years ago. And what I thought was so great about it is each lesson, quote unquote, was, quote unquote, was he had like a very tiny piece and it was all done with like, uh, he had like sort of some sort of overhead projector thing. And so he's writing out and showing you something, but the whole video is like two minutes long. And then you go and practice it. And then you watch another one that's two minutes long and you practice that, which builds on the first thing. And it was just this granular, and you could move through a lot, but you didn't have to learn a whole bunch of stuff about this one thing and then go regurgitate it. You were practicing each step. And I thought that was amazing. And did I answer this your question? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. I don't want to sound like I'm saying that there has to be these really stringent requirements or expectations because I, I still believe teaching is an art and that the way I teach is not going to be the same way that, you know, you guys teach 
but online teaching has felt very much like this kind of nebulous wild west thing where it's like, well, we're just really glad you're doing it. So you do you. (laughs) But all we have, like when we have people come in, the only requirements, and so I'm thinking adjuncts come in who are mostly from industry. So there's no teaching history there. They're mostly online. The only requirements are the instructor widget and announcement in the grade book. Those are the only requirements that we have. So no teaching experience. And that's all you have to use. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing too, is I think it really differs from institution to institution and from state to state. Because I think about when I've attended different educational technology conferences, when we used to have XLI, I remember one time we had people from Portland Community College come and do a presentation and it was amazing. They were so innovative in how they were doing online education and there was a lot to learn there, but they had that as a priority for their institution and made it something where they have very clearly outlined how online courses need to be developed, what they need to look like. Their instructional designers actually create the courses and then the faculty can put the content in, which is different from our more libertarian approach where we're just like, well, we don't really want to tell you what to do. So here you go. I think that there needs to be, again, a a broader conversation and, and a set of standards that's more commonly adopted and recognized, not to deny people academic freedom or anything like that. But when I think about K-12 teacher preparation, each university prepares future teachers in a different way, but there are standards that they all meet. And Mm -hmm. there is a set of commonly accepted practices and methods that are taught in all teacher ed programs. So why is online education so much different? It isn't like it's a new thing. So I think we could do better. And I know we're trying to do better as an institution. But frankly, students, number one complaint is that everything's different. They want consistency. Mm -hmm. They want to take a class and they want it to look the same as every other class, or at least similar enough that it's not different tools in every class and that they have to relearn. It's eight weeks. If they have to do something in eight weeks, they do not want to have to relearn a new tool every eight weeks or learn three tools every new semester. They can't do it. They don't have time. These people, they're working. They don't have time to have to recreate the wheel every time they take a new class. So consistency consistency, is important. It is really important. All right, my friends. What other wishes for 2021 do you have before we end our time together today i would like to win the lottery okay (laughs) i hope you do thank you i hope you remember the little people the older the older people all go on vacation (laughs) together (laughs) i will take my elders on vacation with me thank you sweet yes ma'am that is what we're doing yes how about you wayne do you have any other wishes for anything for 2021 I just want things to get better. And I think they're slowly working that direction. I agree. There's all I kinds agree. of stuff I could say, but I'm just going to say that. No, I'm with you. I, that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at too. I mean, there's, I have a, I'm a gigantic list of things that I would love to see happen and that I want, but I, yeah, I just want to, I want to see things move and continue moving in a more positive direction. I want to see better equity in education, especially. And I want people. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, I just, I want people to have the chance to, to learn and be educated in a way that is going to work for them. Can I ask a a somewhat loaded question really quickly? Mm -hmm. Do you think that having a first lady who is an educator might help that? I hope so. And not to dig too deep into this because I I definitely go on for a long time. (laughs) But I think even the brief 
national conversation about her at her credentials and her degree. I think that that may have sparked some conversations that might not have happened otherwise. I think it's significant that she is a community college professor. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that that will influence some changes to education policy and funding. I love that her dissertation was focused on teaching developmental composition. I mean, oh, I didn't know that. Oh. yes, she's a community college English teacher and she has worked mostly with developmental students. And I'm just like, Jill Biden, you're the same as me. <laughs> I mean, she's not obviously, but... But I didn't know that that was her area. I knew she had a doctorate. I knew she taught at community college. I didn't know she was an English instructor. And to know that she has the same degree that I'm earning Mm -hmm. and that she teaches in the same field that I have taught in for my whole career, Mm -hmm. and especially her emphasis on developmental students, which has been my focus since I came here to the college, I was just beyond excited and thrilled to know all of that. And so I hope that that makes a difference because it's moving away from having such a four-year centric view of higher ed and really looking at, hey, community colleges are a thing. They're a viable place for students to get an education. And there are students who are significantly underserved and we need to make sure that they have access to resources. So I, I hope, I hope. And a plug for two-year colleges too, and not to get too political or anything, but with the rising cost of college and education, and there's two areas of thought here, but there is talk of making college more affordable or making um, college free, which whatever you believe, I don't care. But one of the ideas is, well, what about having community college be free and four-year college you have to pay for or whatever? And if and I don't know what's going to happen, but with that idea, what about doing like two-year community college and then that transfer to the four-year school or something? And so having Dr. Biden in there with that community college experience, maybe there would be more of a push for boosting the community college and using that. I'm super excited that she's in there. And I think that I really do think that she's going to be a big boost just for education, not even just community college. I think education from Mm -hmm. pre-K all the way up to higher ed across the board to get proper funding for educators to get professional development that they need. And just, just for education as a whole to maybe start getting some of the recognition it needs in the United States. So I'm super excited for the future of education for the next four years and hopefully after that. Yeah, sorry to open that can of worms. It was was great. No, I'm glad you did because I think that's the perfect thing to end on is we have some opportunities for some change at the national level and I hope they happen. I agree. All right, friends. Hey, this was great. I'm glad we got to hang out. Yeah.